0: the law, the law says don't lie, but behind the law don't lie is the heart of integrity. The point of the law is is to have a certain kind of person. And so Jesus on the night before he's about to die, he's, he's giving them instructions and he's doing some very interesting and strange things to try to show them what is going to have to happen if instead of him just being teacher, he's also their Lord, instead of just being someone who informs them, but but the information they get passes into their life and changes them.
1: Today on the Songtime broadcast, the late great doctor Timothy Keller will help us in our continued study in the Gospel of John. Looking at John chapter 13, we'll talk about how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and what it teaches us about loving one another as he has loved us. Stay tuned for that message, but first we're joined by Jamie Dunlop as we talk about how to love those who are difficult to love. The Many Voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Our motto here is Many Voices, One Message. But across the board, when you consider those many voices, you'll find there are a lot of areas of disagreement. In fact, there are some issues that will cause rifts that are, you know, we've experienced over the past couple of years that are so vast, you wonder if if we could ever bring those two sides, those two warring factions back together again and call them the body of Christ. We are living in unprecedented times where the church is uh, divided into so many subgroups, it's almost daunting to consider that we are meant to be the bride of Christ, the representation of the world of what true unity looks like under <laughs> one figurehead who is our Savior. And that's why I'm excited to be joined today by Jamie Dunlop, who's the author of a new book called Love the Ones Who Drive You Crazy Eight Trues for pursuing unity in your church. I got to say, I think that this is a timely book and timely written. So, Jamie, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message.
2: Oh, it's a delight to be here. Thank you.
1: Why don't you get us started by telling us the impetus of this book, <laughs> all right? So, I think it's it's sort of easily understandable where it came out of because everyone sort of ex- shared the the same kind of global experience over the last couple of years, a lot of divisions, a lot of breakups. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what prompted you to, to write this book.
2: Yeah, so I'm a pastor uh, like yourself. I have been a pastor for the last 15 years at a Baptist church on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. We're about uh, five blocks from the U.S. Capitol building. And uh, I've actually been here at the church much longer than I've pastored. I was here for 10 years as a member working in business and then uh, came over to serve as a pastor, as I mentioned about 15 years ago. Uh, And like you suggested, uh, much of the impetus was watching my church go through the divisive years of 2020, 2021. Uh, We had differences over uh, what we should do with uh, government restrictions during the pandemic uh, we ended up meeting outdoors. We had to sue our city to be able to meet outdoors inside the city limits, uh, even with masks and uh, social distancing. Uh, that was uh, a greatly difficult, it was a very difficult conversation and and uh, decision for my members. Uh, We're a very political church. We had, uh, of course, differences and disagreements uh, regarding politics. Most people think about politics in terms of two colors. I think in my church, I see it in like 68 colors. So all kinds of opportunities for disagreement as we moved through the election year. uh, We had disagreements over the protests that were very much focused on our neighborhood and some of the riots that resulted from that. Uh, And I had many people in my church who were very upset with me and people who are upset with each other and i would have begun uh, a conversation in those years saying oh my gosh this is some of the hardest times i've ever had as a pastor uh... i feel like i'm the uh... the lightning rod for difficulty and and uh... disagreement in my church at the same time i was spending lots of time uh... studying through the last few chapters of the book of romans and. I think with Paul's help, I began to see evidence of faith, even with the people who were very upset with me and how they interacted with me. Uh, I began to realize, you know, all these differences we have as a church, in one sense, are unfortunate. In another sense, that's because we're a gospel-centered church. We're a Christ-centered church, and we, we've chosen not to to center our church on Christ and politics or Christ and pandemic precautions or Christ and a particular model of, uh, of justice. And uh, I think I learned a lot from my congregation. And as I watched them, by and large, stay together through those difficult years, uh, I thought, you know, I think there's something here in the book of Romans I want to share with others because I've seen it so powerfully happen here.
1: Yeah. I think Romans, you hit the nail on the head, that's such an important place to consider these issues because at the same time that that Paul was penning that letter to the church, he was dealing with this conflict. He was actually ensconced in that level of conflict, a conflict that even the head of the church, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, really seemed to not be able to pick a side on this issue as well. This is not a new issue that we've just experienced over the past couple of years.
2: And isn't that so reassuring? I, I feel like we we go through life as churches, and we feel like, oh my goodness, this is you know the worst thing ever to happen. Well, it's not, right? And the fact that these churches in the New Testament had their own sources of division and tension, and we see wisdom from heaven written on how to help them, gives us so much comfort that what's going on is not accidental, it's not outside the providence of God, and he's given us everything we need in his word to get through it. What a comfort.
1: Yeah. And, and Paul is writing to the church in Rome who we yet to visit, uh, and he's so gentle in how he approaches this issue because he understands, obviously he writes there in Romans 2, that he loves the Jews, he wants all of them to be saved. He's not writing out of disdain, even though his predicament of his imprisonment and his inevitable consequences in Rome are a direct result of, mm. of not only the Jews, but even the Jewish believers not getting his back.
2: Mm. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting as he, write, he writes to these churches in Rome, he assumes that they are Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that the, you know, the Jews congregate in their church over here, the Gentiles over here. And it seems that he's writing from Corinth. And of course, we know from the letters he wrote to the Corinthians, they were very divided. And I just have to wonder, is he looking at these churches he's never met, he knows they have all the same fault lines the Corinthians do, and he's writing this beautiful theological treatise in part to say, hey, guys, hold on to each other as you hold on to Christ. That's such an important part of following him.
1: We've been talking with Jamie Dunlop about his book. It's called Love the Ones Who Drive You Crazy. It takes eight truths from the book of Romans, for pursuing unity in your church. And it's a great resource, especially coming out of the last four years where we really need to start working on fulfilling what Christ gave us. This is a command, and it's also our theme verse, to love one another as Christ has loved us. It's not always easy, but it's always meant to teach us to become more like Christ. So if you'd like to find out more information about this book, please give us a call. It's 508 Seven zero, or head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today we're continuing our study in the gospel of John. And this week it's perfectly time to look at John chapter 13. In this message from the late great Dr. Timothy Keller, we'll talk about how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and how this is what he uses to teach them how to love each other as he is going to love them. He is demonstrating by his own actions, uh, by his own own sort of putting his heart out there to show them that this is the manner in which we are to love and cherish our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here is Timothy Keller with a closer look at John chapter 13 and the story of Jesus washing the
0: feet of his disciples. John chapter 13, 1 to 21. Jesus said, Unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my, head, my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, Not every one was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. This is God's word. You see, uh, on the night uh, before Jesus is about to die, his very last night with his disciples, what's his concern? His concern is, it's, it's funny almost, his concern, in verse 1 and in verse 17, the beginning at the end, there's a hint. In verse uh, 1, it says, Having loved him, he now shows them his love. In verse 17, he says, Having known these things, now I would like you to start doing them. What Jesus is saying is, you have listened to many of the things I've said. You've listened to what I've said, and you've somewhat learned them. But you haven't looked at who I am and become that. You're, you're, it's, you haven't really changed. You haven't become. I've given you an example, but you're not living that way. I've given you teaching, but you, I'm just your teacher. But it hasn't passed into your life. It hasn't changed you. Here's the law. The law says, don't lie. But behind the law, don't lie, is the heart of integrity. Here's the law that says, help the poor. But behind the law of help the poor is a heart of generosity and humility. Here's the law that says, don't envy. But behind that is the heart of peace and contentment. The point of the law is, is to have a certain kind of person. And so Jesus, on the night before he's about to die, he's, he's giving them instructions and he's doing some very interesting and strange things to try to show them what is going to have to happen if instead of him just being teacher, he's also their Lord, instead of just being someone who informs them, but, but the information they get passes into the life and changes them. Now, here's what we learn. First of all, this passage teaches us the importance of the fruit. One thing that I, I you know, I have a pretty long passage here uh, and one of the reasons I, I, I put that long a passage in the bulletin was to show you how much John, the writer, uh, wants to draw attention to the fact that Judas the betrayer is there. What does Judas tell us? Oh, Judas tells us about the importance of the fruit of the Spirit. What do we learn? Judas, Judas Iscariot had the best small group experience anybody's ever had. Judas Iscariot has had the best preacher anybody's ever had. Judas Iscariot had the most incredible moral example anybody ever had. He had the most incredible training anybody ever had. And what does this mean? The gospel never clicked with this man. He never really understood it. What does this mean? Then I ask you, is God in your life Is, 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 uh, do you, are you a spiritual person? What do you look at? Do you look at your theological knowledge? Judas would strip us all. Do you look at how much people are always telling you how much you, how many lives you've changed? You're involved with people. You've helped people. You counsel people. You do all these incredibly great things for people. Do you look at that? Stop. A real Christian we'll know the Bible and we'll have a lot of wisdom and a real Christian will do all kinds of wonderful things for people. Of course, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I'm saying is that without any grace in the heart at all, those things can still be true of you. You can still know all these things, have all this great input, all this great output. What Judas Iscariot tells us is it is absolutely incredibly important to ask, are the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life? Not how much I know or, how many people's lives have been changed through me, but has my own life been changed? You see, Judas Iscariot did not have love, joy, peace, patience. That's impossible. Those things grow, and he didn't have that. He had suspicion. We're told about that. And he had greed. We're told about that. I'm not, like I said, this isn't a whole sermon on Judas. It's one point, and I've got to, I've got to get on here. But you see, what we're finding is that he had power, he had knowledge, he had all these wonderful things. You and I must not look at those things to tell whether or not the Spirit of God is really working in us and we really understand Christ or not. You have to look at the fruit. The real question, the real question is, think of the fruit of the Spirit. Would would your friends say you are much more patient and much more gracious when people criticize you than you used to be? Are you a better repenter than you've ever been? Are you changing? Are you growing in the fruit of the spirit? Do you worry less? That's the thing. Not how, many, not how smart you are, not how many things you know, not how many people you're helping. Are you changing?
1: I'm sure that most of you watched the Super Bowl last week. And, uh, of course, uh, as we were watching it, everyone makes sure to tune in to the commercials as well. It is ironic that we are literally watching uh, propaganda <laughs> for the sake of pleasure and enjoyment. But that is the nature of the Super Bowl, isn't it? And there is one particular commercial that stood out that has written really split the Christian community into fractions. And since that's what we're talking about this week, and we did not plan this, we did not uh, pre-organize this as a response to that commercial, but because we're talking about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, I think it's important for us uh, to address it. I don't like to do hot takes here on the broadcast. I don't like to react to things and sort of add my opinions to the ether, but this is a great teaching opportunity. The commercial of of uh, Christians washing particular feet and different scenarios uh, from a group called He Gets Us, describing how Jesus loves us, he gets us, he connects with us wherever we're at. It was an interesting and very provocative commercial that has really captured the attention of many, and the responses of Christians have been from uh, extreme right to extreme left, as it seems that everything is within our culture today. Here's my take on it. The truth is that uh, Jesus did wash the feet of his disciples, including Judas, who would betray him. And he teaches this, that that example of washing the disciples' feet was meant to be an example for us on how to love other people, how to show them love and respect and dignity because they are, whether they accept it or not, created in the image of God. And when we attack somebody, we are, in effect, attacking the very nature of God, because God created them, they belong to him, and we need to acknowledge that. That's the doctrine of the Imago Day. We ought to honor and respect other people. But it also paints a very troubling trend within our culture today that paints Jesus into this tolerant, loving, kind, and accepting, and wide-open-armed uh, sort of Savior who doesn't have any issue with people's lifestyles or their sin. And the truth is that Jesus was equally angry, equally condemning of sin in his day as he was as accepting of those, especially when he heals somebody and tells them, now go and sin no more. In fact, Jesus said in chapter 12 that although he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, he didn't come into the world to judge the world, that he ultimately says, but those who don't receive me as their savior, who don't see the cross as their atoning sacrifice, these will be judged by my own words and we see in the book of revelation that when jesus returns he will come back as the one not only as the savior but also the judge of the world those who refuse to bow the knee to jesus so yes i think it's appropriate for us to love even those who are our enemies but here's the additional problem with the ad: it doesn't go far enough because it only handpicks certain uh, sort of left-leaning issues that are often used to attack Christians as not being loving enough. But it doesn't go to those extreme places, the true enemies, the the people that are uh, that are condemned on both the right and the left. To see that even those who are criminals, those who are murderers, and those who are violent, the people that Jesus described in in the uh, Sermon on the Mount to wash their feet as well. That is the love that God has. And John will tell us that God uh, that sent his son Jesus to die for the sins of the world, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, yes, we ought to love others as Christ has loved us. I hope that this encourages you and. Uh, A little hot take, but I hope that it causes you to think a little more deeply in our study this week in John chapter 13. If we have been a blessing to you, let us know. You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. Of course, you can always look us up on social media. Don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as we continue to look at this example of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and see how it serves us as we live out our faith in this world.
0: He washed all their feet. And he doesn't just serve because in spite of who he is, he doesn't just serve in spite of what he's facing, he also serves in spite of who they are in spite of what they've done or what they're about to do.
1: On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we wanna thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another.